0: Hey, good morning. My name is Jordan, and I am the student pastor here at 12th, and uh, on occasion, I get to preach in front of what I call the the big church, and so I just want to say thank you, Pastor Al, and everybody for letting me preach. I really enjoy being up here, so if you guys got to endure with me for 30 minutes, then I appreciate that, but I just really love getting up here and teaching in front of you guys, so wanted to to start with that. Um, So we're here on Senior Sunday, and there's a lot of graduations today. And it was five years ago that my wife Katie and I were seniors in college. We went to Sterling College, and uh, if you know where that's at, then it's a small town, so you've been there before, you've never heard of it otherwise. But uh, we were in school there, and I was studying ministry, and a lot of my ministry courses, I was reading these books, and they were referring to youth ministry as a failed experiment, right? And so I was like, oh, I'll never be a youth pastor, that's a dead end, right? So glad I didn't go that way. Um, so they're referring to youth ministry as a failed experiment, and the reason they called it an experiment is because in uh, comparison to the church, the church has been around for a few thousand years, but youth ministry has only been around for 50 or 60 years, so it's kind of this new thing, and um, it really started as youth rallies, right? It didn't start in churches. It started as youth rallies, and it was really begun by organizations that would go on to be Really popular, young life, youth for Christ, and so in in Canada and the United States, they were putting on these youth rallies, right? And so they're seeing lots of kids come to Christ on weeknights. It was really, a really cool thing. So that happened for five or ten years, and then churches picked it up. They said, "Hey, we can really grab onto this. So let's do this too." So they start investing in this. Um, they start hiring pastors, especially for the students. They start designing services that are separate and more geared towards young people to bring them in, right? All these things were done in the name of reaching students. And the sad fact is that um, according to statistics, this has been largely ineffective in the American church. We have, we have not done a good job of instilling a lasting faith in high school students because Lifeway has put out a stat that says 70% of high school seniors, after they graduate, will walk away from the church, and only about 35% of them will ever come back, right? So it seems like we're failing, So after all that effort, right? After all the money spent on youth pastors, after all the hours given by volunteers, after all the the skinny jeans and the hair gel that youth pastors have to use to be cool, right? All wasted, all wasted. I got slim fit pants. I'm not quite skinny, but I'm halfway there, so. All of it wasted, right? Because 70% of the time, they failed at doing their job. See, if you fail at your job 70% of the time, you are not going to have a job for very long. Dr. Waters is a professor here at ESU. If he failed 70% of the students year in, year out, the university would probably not let him teach anymore, right? Um, Skylar Delmont works for a tree care service here in town. If 70% of the trees that he touched died, first of all, that would be some kind of weird, freaky miracle thing. But also, you would not have a job for very long as a tree maintenance guy, right? Like, you, it wouldn't happen. If, if 70% of the sermons that Pastor Al gave were snoozers, then then he wouldn't have a job. It's good, because you're below that, right? Like, you hover around the 20-30 range. Maybe every third sermon. No, just kidding. Just kidding, Pastor Al. This will be my last time preaching here, probably. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed it. The point is, they wouldn't have jobs, right? You can't have a job and fail 70% of the time. So you guys are looking at me now like, wait a minute, you just told us that you fail 70% of the time. Well, I'm not trying to talk myself out of a job. I love my job. Let me, let me unwrap this before you run me off the stage here. You see, guys, youth groups are failing to instill lasting faith in students because we're treating youth group as if it was made to do that all on its own. You see what I'm saying? We we are treating youth group as if it is the only thing that students need to hold on to God. You see, if youth group or church for adults is the extent of your relationship with God, then you likely will drop out at some point. That 70% marker starts to make a lot more sense because church or youth group they can't give you everything that you need in god right if you're coming once a week you can't get everything that you need from god we we need a lot more than that if we're going to grow in god right think of it like this let me let me compare it to a tomato plant because it's summer and i love gardening we just planted our tomato plants and i love the smell of tomato plants and the taste of tomatoes so let's just talk about tomato plants for a second just indulge me Um, a tomato plant a healthy tomato plant needs three things to grow right It needs sun it needs soil and it needs water if you bought a tomato plant and you only gave it one of those things you would not expect that tomato plant to flourish right if you took a tomato plant and you stuck it in a in a bucket of water and you put it in your basement and you locked it up and it got no sunlight and no soil you wouldn't open the door in two weeks and expect tomatoes right it wouldn't work like that if you had a tomato plant and you just laid it on your driveway and it got all the Sun that it needed but it got no water and no soil you would expect it to die and wither, right? You wouldn't expect it to grow. So my question is why do we think that attending church or youth group once a week will create a faith that lasts? Why do we think that that will work? If we're just giving our souls one part of the equation, we can't expect to grow in God if we do that. So today what I want to do is I want to talk about the elements of a lasting faith. I want to talk about what it takes to have an enduring faith because just like a tomato plant, guys, we need different things to grow in God we can't just give our souls one piece of the puzzle and expect to grow in God so we're going to talk about what those are I'm actually going to just go over them at the beginning and then uh, we'll kind of dive into them so I'll let you know right here it's it's Bible right we need Bible we need church and we need close Christian friendships and so what I want to do today is I want to talk about why each of these things are vital to us right why we can't leave any of these things out but also why if we try and just lean on one or even two of these, what our Christian walk is going to look like and where it's going to come up short and, and why it's going to fail and why we're going to burn out, right? So we're going we're to talk through those things. Today I want to tell you all, graduating seniors and the rest, I want to talk about how to run this race of endurance because it really is a race of endurance, it's not a sprint, and how to stay in the race without falling out. I want to talk about... Um, Just the big picture right why we need all these things to really grow in God so let's start with the very first one here Bible if you're following in your notes the first one there is Bible I think we would all agree that personal time with God that's that that personal alone quiet time meditating on the word is really essential to knowing God right I don't think anybody would refute that in fact in in Matthew 4 4 Jesus makes it clear he says you know man shall not live on bread alone he's rebuking the devil here And, and what he's saying is you know our bodies they need physical food That's obvious, but our spiritual bodies, our souls, they need food too, and we can't just try and live on physical food because there's a big part of us that hungers for something more, and if you don't know God, you know that there's that hole inside. You know there's that hunger, and you can't really figure out what it is, but that's what it is. See, we hunger for truth. We hunger for the Word of God. It's because the Word of God is our connection to God. It's our connection to Him, right? It's it's how we hear from Him. If you are a believer and you have been in the word of God and, and you have a, a good prayer life and then you kind of stop for a while and you really do have a connection it's God with it's like you miss him right like if you haven't been in your word in a while you hunger for it you it's like something's missing and I need that thing that's what it really means to to feed on the word of God the Bible tells us um to renew our minds in Romans 12 too, it says to not conform to this world but to renew our minds right and that's literally what the word of God does for us it Every time we read it, it's like truth washing over our minds, and that's why it's so essential for us because in this world, guys, it is, it is so hard to get a hold of real truth, right? Real truth comes at a premium in this world, and so going to the word of God is, is the only place that we can really find that because we live in a world where the word fact is becoming a looser and looser term, right? Right When somebody claims to, to have a fact or to say something, you've got to think it through. You can't just take somebody's word for it anymore. We live in a world of fake news, of alternative facts, of Internet articles that are intentionally written to mislead or to misinform. right? If you just take the, the word, the world at its word, you're going to be very uh, very fooled, very confused. We live in a society where more and more, the, the lines between right and wrong. And the answers were so clear, they used to be black and white, but now those lines are getting blurred, right? Society has so many questions. They crave truth. They crave to know what is right and wrong and what to really do, but they don't have the answers, right? That's what the Bible is for. It points us to those things. So society is left asking itself questions like, like, which bathroom is somebody legally allowed to use? Can somebody really control their gender? How much control does someone really have over their body? What Is the real answer to right and wrong who really knows what it is because there's so many good people on both sides of every argument saying that they know the truth but they're looking at their own human opinion right they're not looking at the Word of God and so we have to go back to the Word if we're gonna see the answers to these things Psalm 119 105 tells us exactly what the Word of God is good for it says it's a lamp for our feet and a light for our path right if the world is this dark place where we 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 can't find our way around the word of god shows us exactly which way to go the word of god is like a compass right and this life is a storm and we know that the word of god is always going to point north we know that it is always going to point true see in human history we have come up with a lot of hard questions a lot of hard dilemmas a lot of controversies and issues We're always inventing new problems, but the Bible, it always stays the the same. It's not going to change its answer based on what society says today. The word of God will always hold true. It's like that compass that we can always, always look to. And guys, the thing is, if we're not in our Bible every day, we're going to get lost, right? If you're in a storm and you're not looking at which way really is north, you're going to start to lean one way or the other on your own opinion or on what the world says. We have got to stay rooted in the word of God. Now, that being said, As essential as the Bible is to our Christian walk, and I think none of us would refute that, um, it was not meant to sustain us on its own, right? The Bible alone is not enough to sustain us because without church and without close Christian relationships in our lives, it would be really, really hard to apply the knowledge that the Bible teaches us, right? It's really good at giving knowledge and telling us what is right, but without that human element to, to hold us accountable, to encourage us, it may not actually get lived out. Without people in our lives who encourage us like this, we can become knowledge-focused people, right? We can get so focused on the text. We can get so focused on what it says that we fail to actually let it become real in our lives. Now, the issue with this, guys, is that our faith is not one of knowledge, right? Our faith is one of, of love. See, when you get to heaven, uh, there's, there's no quiz at the gate as far as like how many Bible verses you knew there's no quiz about trivia in the Bible, like you don't get credit for that. Now, the Bible does tell us to hide it in our hearts. God tells us to hide his word in our hearts, but that's so that we can go and live it out, right? It's not just for the sake of knowledge. It's so that we can, we can take it with us wherever we go. And so we see that our faith is not one of knowledge, but it's one of love. And that's really what the hang-up was for the Pharisees. See, Jesus came and he embodied love, right? And he fulfilled the law and he lived it out. But the Pharisees, they were so stuck looking at the book, The Law, in their hands, which was their Bible, that they didn't, they didn't see the starving person at their feet, right? They didn't bother to apply it at all. They just loved knowledge for knowledge's sake, and that's the risk that we run if we only have the Bible and we don't have Christian relationship in our lives. Because without action, the, the, the Bible is just words, right? It's not alive, it's not real until we put it into practice. Paul David Tripp is an author that I really, really love. I don't know if you guys have read any of his stuff, but um, he has a quote that I read a while back, and it's always stuck with me. I think that it always will. He says that it's easier to know a thing than it is to love a person or to love someone, right? It's easier to know a thing than it is to love a person. Think on that for a second. That's so true, and and what he's saying here is that it's easier to know the right thing to do than it is to actually do that thing, and I I think we could all agree with that. For instance, guys, in Mark 12:31, it's easier to know that, that Jesus says "to love your neighbor than it, has, than it is to actually help that new family move in down the street during your busy week, right? It's easier to know the right thing to do than it is to actually take time out and do it. It's easier to know that in Matthew 5:44 it says, "To pray for your enemy." It's easier to know that than it is to actually lift up that person in prayer who said that thing about you or who hurt you so bad, right? Like, oh, how can I possibly pray for this person? It's easier to know that you should do that than it is to actually do that. For me, it's like, it's like traffic, man. I tell you what, I am praying for people in traffic, but it is not prayers of love sometimes. It is brimstone and death and destruction because I don't know what everybody's problem is. I'm a great driver. Everyone else needs to get their act together, I guess. I don't know. So guys, while the Bible is our lifeline to God, it's our connection to Him, while it is um, our compass of truth, it guides us through this life, and, and while it is actually food for our spiritual bodies that we hunger for, guys, it, it can't provide accountability, it can't provide encouragement that we get from people, right? There's a human element that is missing from the Bible, and for that reason, we can't, we can't grow in God without people, with just the word of God. The second one is, is church. Okay, we we need church in order to, to sustain a growing relationship with God. And Jesus modeled this, right in the in the Gospels. It talks about Jesus always going to the synagogue. Okay, he was going and he was meeting people and he was teaching. And the synagogue was the the place of Jewish worship. Worship there in the in the first century, and uh, it was kind of like Jesus's version of church. So we see him going and. and and meeting with people regularly right that was something that he he always did And we also see uh, the early church they did this too right we always see that they were meeting together whether it was on a large stage the Bible says that they met together in large groups and they preached and many were were brought uh, were brought to God through that and it says they also met in small groups like in upper rooms right so we know that they were serious about meeting in big and small groups it even says that they met every single day sometimes Right? How intense is that? Like, I know that the cinnamon rolls and the coffee here, they are delicious, right? But I know they're not good enough to bring you back tomorrow. Okay? We're not going to meet every day like they did. But that's what they did. That's, that's how serious they were about meeting and about being together. Hebrews 10, 24 uh, is a verse that we look to when we talk about meeting together. And it says this. It says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more, until you see that day is approaching. You see, guys, we, we see the reason here that we meet, it's encouragement, right? It's encouragement. It's about, it's about building one another up. And it's, it's always been that. It's always been at the core of the church, is encouragement. That's why we get together. And, and the reason for that is, is that the world is a draining place, right? If you're a believer in Christ... The world is a draining place. The world is really terrible at being an encourager. The world is really terrible at lifting you up and and filling you up. That's not what the world does. The world is so much better at critiquing, right? The world is so much better at tearing down and at deceiving and at wearing us down. Guys, that's why church is necessary to us. We are here to encourage, to unify as a body, to build each other up. This is what church is all about. Church should never ever drain us, right? You should always be filled up at church. That's the point of it. Church should never, ever feel like a waste of two hours. Or if Garen's preaching, three hours. (laughs) That's my best joke, and he's not even here to hear it today. I'm really sad, so. (laughs) Garrett, I hope you heard that on the podcast, man, because that was my little shout-out to you. (laughs) Guys, I've had seasons in my life where church, uh, it didn't feel like an encouragement, Right? It, it just felt like a box to check off. It just felt like I was supposed to do it, where I would go and I would feel like I'm supposed to do this because I'm a Christian and I know I'm supposed to, but I'm not really feeling it. I've been there, right? And I've been through the drudgery. And as I look at those times in my life, it felt like that because that was my only connection to God. Right? I, I wasn't in my word daily. I wasn't growing with God in quiet time. Um, I, I wasn't in close Christian friendships that were making me better. Right? It, it was just this weekly thing that I did, and it, it wasn't enough. I, I wasn't being fed. I was actually being starved, and so I just wasn't in a good place spiritually. And guys, if you are not investing in your relationship with God outside of Sunday morning, then church can feel like an obligation for you too, and I know that because I've been there. You can start to ask your questions, yourself questions like this, like why does everybody else keep coming here? Why is it so important to go to church? Why is everyone else so happy to see each other? I just, don't, I just don't feel that way on a Sunday. Why do I feel so empty when everybody else feels so full? Like, what, what are they getting that I'm not? What am I missing out on, right? This is how church can feel if we are not feeding ourselves spiritually in other places. Guys, when, when church is all your spiritual diet consists of, it can result in a happy face with a sad soul, right? We've all been there before. People walk into church with a smile on their face, but inside they're just really dying, right? And we're not naive. There's people like this not, not only in our church today, but across America. There's a lot of people that come to church like this. And it's because church, it can't give us everything. It wasn't designed for intimacy, right? It was designed as a, as a, as a place to, to uplift and, and to encourage. Let me prove that church was not made for intimacy. How many people asked you how you were doing today on the way in? Like, Hopefully a few at least. Hopefully everyone got asked how they were doing on the way in. Usually it's like two or three times for me before I I make my way to my seat. So of those people that asked you how you were doing, how many of you just gave the typical answer? What's the typical answer? You guys know what it is. What is it? Fine. Good. I'm good. It's always the same answer. It sounds different for guys and girls. For guys, it's like, yeah, I'm good. For girls, it's like, oh, good. (laughs) Yeah, so good. Right? But it's all the same thing. It's all like the same typical, not real answer. How many people that asked you that question today were you actually honest with? How many of them did you air your struggles or your dirty laundry out in front of? Not very many, if any, right? It's because cr- church is a great encourager. Church is a great unifier, but, but it's not a great place to find intimacy and to, to let our junk out, right? It's, it's a big stage. It's a big group, and it's hard to do that and a place like this. See, guys, church is only one piece of the puzzle. It, it's great. I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that church, our church, I love our church. It's not a great thing. It's really, it's really awesome, but it's, it can't do everything, right? See, like, church is like Russell Westbrook. I'm about to drop some NBA knowledge now, okay? So church is like Russell Westbrook. If you don't know who Russell Westbrook is, he was the best player in the NBA this year, and if you disagree with that, we can meet out back In the parking lot we can talk about it. Um, Russell Westbrook had one of the greatest NBA seasons of all time this year. He set a league record with 42 triple-doubles. If you don't know what a triple-double is, lean over, ask your man, he will inform you what a triple-double is. Basically, without going into it, he had one of the best seasons of all time, right? So he was far and away the best player. Now, his team made the playoffs, but even as great as Russell Westbrook was, he wasn't enough to get his team through the first round of the playoffs. Right? Why? Because he was the only great player on his team. He had no help. We're not going to go into that right now. It's frustrating. But he had no help. Okay? He had no other good players on his team. He couldn't do it all by himself. Right? Guys, church is the same way. I don't care how good your church is. I don't care how much you love your youth group or, or the preaching or whatever. That's awesome. But it's not enough to do it on its own. Right? Church is never, ever enough to sustain us on its own. It always needs other pieces around it. Man, I wasn't sure I was going to work Russell Westbrook into this, but I'm glad I did because he deserves it. Um, guys, that's the same way for our faith, like we said. You have to have other pieces in place. And the reason for that is that church lacks the intimacy and the vulnerability that we get in small groups, right? It's hard to come and air your dirty laundry out in a big group. In fact, it's, it's maybe not even healthy. It'd be weird if I did that. If, if I got up here and was like, hey, I'm Jordan, student pastor, Here to give announcements, by the way, I had a rough week, and I'm really struggling with my faith, and I I had a big fight, and I'm not doing good spiritually. You guys be like, uh, what time does the other church start? We're out of here. This is weird. It's not a good place for that. So where can we bring those things? What is is the healthy avenue for those things? Let's talk about it. The very last one is close Christian friendships. You see, guys, this is where real life happens, okay? This is where things get real for us. It's, It's awesome. I love... Close Christian friendships, I love friendships. I'm a relationships person. I don't do well with paperwork and files and keeping things straight. I have to really, really work hard at that, but I love people. And I love close friendships because that's where real, real growth happens. Um, Proverbs 27, 17, it tells us how important this is. It says um, that one man sharpens another, right? Just like two swords. And, and what that means is that when you are in a close Christian relationship, you're making each other better all the time. You should be getting better with your relationships. It's not just some friendship where you guys stay the same. It's, it's something that is making you sharper, that is making you better. See, guys, the reason for that is because this is where correction, encouragement, vulnerability, these things, these things all happen in this context of the close friendship. And it's all because it starts with accountability, right? We can hold close friends accountable. In fact, in James 5, 16, it says to confess our sins to one another, right? If you have a close Christian friend, if you have a life group or whatever, that's where you go and, and you talk about hard things. That's where you go and, and the Bible encourages us to confess our sins to one another, not so that we can shame one another or look down on one another, but so we can lift each other up, right? That's what these friendships are for. What in the world? That's what these friendships are for. Like we said, I'm not about to pour my junk out on the big stage. The Bible's not asking us to do that. That's not what it's for. That's why this context is so, so important. I really like what Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says. It talks about just how much better it is to do life in a group than it is solo. And so let me read Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 here. It says this, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If if either of them falls down, the other can help them up. But pity anyone who has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands excuse me, is not easily broken. Guys, these things are so true. Um, it, it's talking about relationship and friendship and how much better our lives are with these things. And, and I think we, we can all identify with these things. It says, how much easy is it? How much easier is it for somebody who has fallen down to be picked up by a friend, right? When we fall down spiritually or emotionally or morally? Or mentally, right? How much easier is it when you have close friends around you that are willing to pick you up than it is to do it yourself? There's so much truth in that. When, when we're in battle, and the Bible tells us we're in battle every day, a spiritual battle, right? How much easier is it for, for us to watch each other's backs and to stay strong in our faith than it is to do it on our own? It's impossible. It's so much easier with a close group around you. And that other one, I, I guess, is, is true too. You know, two people keeping warm in bed. That I'm not there with my friends. We don't, we don't share beds. It's, it's a little weird. You know, Katie is enough to keep me warm, so we're good there. And it's not because she hogs the bed, because I would never say that on the church stage. Oh, I would, I would never say that. Kate, I didn't say it, so. No. Two are better than one in, in almost every way. Now guys, that being said, the accountability of close friends is a, is a good thing, right? And that's where growth happens, but it is not enough To sustain us on its own because if our close Christian friendships if our life groups if these things that we that are close and intimate for us if they're not centered around God they can quickly become about us do you guys ever notice that in the void of God in the void of the Word of God and of truth as humans we just tend to make it about ourselves right if you've ever walked away from your faith or stopped reading your word for a while you just notice that you naturally like go to the center of your life it suddenly becomes about you right what you think or what you feel or what you need or what you do or don't want to do. We just tend to make it about us as humans. It's just natural for us and, and we see this happen in the book of Judges, right? Judges twenty-one twenty-five says that in those days there was no king and so people did what was right in their own eyes. And so if our close friendships are devoid of God and devoid of real truth, we can make them about ourselves. We can make it about whatever we think and that's not, that's not God honoring. That's not what it's about. It quickly becomes about what we feel, about, about what we want in our lives, instead of about God. Guys, the bottom line is that close Christian friendships, they're a safe place to be authentic, right? They're a safe place to, just like in James 5 says, to come and to, to, to confess our sins, to lay down our burdens in front of our friends. It's a safe place to, to do those things, but without people in those relationships having their own personal special relationship with god it quickly becomes about us right it stops being god-centered and it starts being all about us and that's not god honoring so today we discussed uh three elements of what it takes to have an enduring faith right we talked about bible reading about having a personal time we talked about church or youth group having a a weekly encouraging life-giving get together with other believers and we talked about close Christian friendships, those intimate spaces where growth can happen, where tough conversations can happen. We need all these things. Guys, if we're missing any one of these things, our spiritual lives, they can feel like they're off balance, right? Like out of alignment. We can feel like it's a struggle, like like everything's not clicking along, and we've all been there. That's why it is so important to have this balance, right? Because on its own, the word of God provides truth, it provides direction. But without application, without that human element in our lives, it's just words, right? We need the encouragement of humans and the accountability of humans to keep us on track. and And weekly worship—it's awesome. It unites us. It encourages us. But it's not an intimate space. It's not a space that we can bring our junk and our hard stuff and talk about easily, right? That's what—that's what small groups are for. And lastly, close Christian friendships. See, they provide accountability and vulnerability it's that safe space that we can take things, and if we don't have that in our lives, we can feel like we're drowning, right? You, everybody has junk. If you don't have people in your life that you can take that to, and you take it all on yourself, man, you just drown. I've been there. It's no good. Close Christian friendships are so vital to growing in God. So if you walked in this morning, and you know that you don't have one of these things, I encourage you to restore that balance. I encourage you To Seek one of those things out if if you are in church. That's good. Keep coming to church. This is vital if you struggle getting into the word man, we have Reading plans online you have you version Um, There are groups here at the church that get together and study the word weekly Like we have no excuse not to be in the word. There were people who will do it with you But you have got to be taking initiative. You have got to see how important that is in your life And then lastly if you are lacking Close Christian friendships, man, get in a life group. We have great life groups here. If they found a life group that can fit me and my weirdness, man, they can find one for you. If life groups aren't your thing, if, if you'd rather do something else, there are so many people in this church who would love to, to meet with you or mentor you. Man, contact our church office. We would love to make those connections for you because close Christian friendships are so, so important to growing in God. So today, as I close here, I just want to say whether you're a graduate or whether you're somebody who has been in the real world for a while, but you're still trying to figure it out. That's me. Know that closeness to God, it doesn't just happen on its own, right? You don't just roll out of bed and are close to God. It takes intentionality. And so I want to encourage you, graduates, excuse me, graduates, I want you to live out these three elements intentionally, okay? Make sure that these three things are things that you are doing in your life. Because if you are intimidated that after you leave your high school group or your college group that you're going to fall off spiritually, if you're scared that you're going to get out in the real world and you're going to lose your faith, man, cling to these three elements because you will not easily lose your faith if you are doing all three of these things. It's just, it's just a fact. And for the rest of us who are not graduating today, how do we stay close to God in the midst of a busy schedule. We, we make these three things priorities. We make them big rocks, right? We let the other small rocks fit in around these things, but we have got to prioritize these things in our life. I know, and, I, and I've lived through it, if we don't prioritize these things, man, things get out of whack really, really quickly. So I just want to encourage you and leave you with that today to make these three things a priority. I want to go back to Ecclesiastes 4.12, that last verse that we read, and it says that a cord of three strands... Is not easily broken and what it was talking about was relationships right it was talking about people but I think it also works in the context of what we're talking about here today right these three elements elements—a faith made of these three elements will not easily be dropped out of or taken from you or forgotten or quit right it will be really really strong and so what I've done is I have some bracelets at the back and I'm wearing a bracelet like this these bracelets are made of lots of little tiny strands. Mine's kind of fraying out, but they're woven together, right? And they're really strong. And so what I want you to do is take a bracelet. I have enough for everybody. I want everybody to take one. You can wear it. You can put it in your car or your Bible, whatever. But I want it to be a reminder to you that a cord of three strands is not easily broken. That if you are living out these three elements every day, that your faith will not quickly be lost, right? If you are seeking these three things out, then you can be sure that you're going to have a faith that lasts, That is what I have for us. Um, We're going to honor the the seniors now, though. So if we can have the seniors come up, I think Beth and Clara and Zena and G and Katie and Maya. Are you guys all here? Come on up. You can come up. Hey, you're going to be on a stage later today, so you better get used to this, right? This is like the, the dry run. Let me move this. Okay, so... We've got some seniors. Man, did you guys run all the boys off? What happened here? (laughs) Holy cow. Um, So can we have this mic turned on? Okay, so these are our seniors, and I would love for you guys, we're gonna have a little picture behind you, but um, if you could say your name and where you're graduating from and what you plan to do next year, um, we wanna honor you guys, so go ahead. Okay, I'm Genevieve Lowry. I actually just graduated last week from Osage City High School, and I'm gonna be going to Emporia State to study Spanish and a few other things. Hi, I'm Beth Wright and I graduated from Emporia High School and I'm going to go to ESU for art therapy and art education. My name is Clara Grayson, I will be graduating from Grayson Academy and I will be taking a six month break and then working on teaching English. Hi, I'm Zena Vestrain and I'm from OPI and I plan on attending Flint Hills Tech to do nursing. Hi, my name's Maya Resco. I'm graduating from Emporia High School today, and next year I'll be going to ESU to study elementary education. Hi, I'm Caitlin Stapp. I am graduating from Emporia High School today, and I will be going to Flint Hills Technical College to get a practical nursing degree. Very good. Hey, can we, uh, can we give our graduates a hand, first of all? <laughs> Very good. Hey, if you guys would like to stand, we're going to pray for our graduates. And then, guys, I have a gift for you, so don't, don't leave me. Okay, let's pray. Thank you for these seniors. Thank you for their lives and the fact that they know you, God. Um, we ask that you bless their lives, God, whatever they do. We know that it is in your plans, Father God. So whatever they plan to do next year, be with them, empower them, Lord. Help them to stay with you and to walk with you, Father God. We're so grateful for them. We just ask for a blessing on their lives. In your son's name we pray.